today's guest, Peter van Kersen. Organizations that are slightly uh, larger, right? If you're 100 people and and you and you plan to to double up in a year, um, it's not it's not difficult to to no, keep track of. You can do it in a spreadsheet, and it's per it works perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. If you if you're 3,000 and you have a uh, 100% turnover in some of your your departments, um, it's it's starting to become a little bit more challenging because then it's not so much yeah. It's not, so the the first thing it should always start with um with the business so either with a, with a revenue planning or with a feature planning or with you know, whatever whatever products are we are we looking to launch and work back from from there to what capability that we need and when i think i think the when is the big um, challenge i think there's a massive disconnect between the business having a need or a desire and the expectation of when uh, a, a new hire can start and be productive right um so so that's that's already where the planning goes off because even if we take a month or two months to hire someone it, it, it will often be about six months before they can really start to produce um and and, and then you're already behind on your uh, schedule and the second is that um if i think okay so look, let's have a look at the budget planning process itself right? so so for example in doc planner the budget planning would take anywhere between one and a half and three months. Yeah, so it's, at some point there's a there's a there's a long headcount list. Um, we start to figure out how many people we need and when, and in and and where, and and by the time the budget signed off by our investors, we're three months later, and about three hundred new people have joined already. Uh, about two hundred fifty people have left uh, the organization, and it's it, it's not really clear anymore what's actually needed um, versus what the budget is. So now, which of these two lists do we give to the recruitment team? What's actually needed or what's in the budget and, and what's been signed off? Uh, so there we have a little bit of a challenge. Um, and I think that the third is the recruitment capacity. I think more, yeah. So if we, if we know that we're going to be late, uh, so if we know that recruiting takes time, um, it, it will take even longer if you're understaffed uh, and, they won't, and they won't necessarily go faster if you're overstaffed. Right? So I think a, a mistake that a lot of companies make is um, they don't look at the recruitment capacity um, seriously enough, uh, and especially enough. in the early days. Yeah, and early enough. There's like, let's, let's hire an HR manager, um, but but also let's double the company. And then it's, it's about prioritization, right? And hiring usually gets priority. And before you know it, um, the HR function is Little more than just uh, than just talent acquisition. Um, so how to how to solve this? I think the number one thing is to have um, real time insights in what's going on, even during the budgeting process. Peter was um, VP people and led global people teams at Deliver Hero, Doc Planner, and many other companies, and is now um, self-employed and consults company in talent acquisition systems, HR overall strategy, and organizational development. So we talked a lot about um, systems because global organizations usually have a problem that they don't can rely on data or that departments, they don't communicate clearly enough with each other, especially when it comes to 
planning or decision making. And we really dive, uh, dived deep into the topic of how you need to set up certain systems early on to prevent common mistakes that happen later if you don't can rely if you cannot rely on your data. So that's um, also touching headcount planning, integrations of recruitment systems and um, people systems, org design when you split it by countries or by functions, what's the difference and um, what pros and cons we see there. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. For all the listeners here, not switching on the video, I think you should because Peter here is on a boat, first podcast guest on a boat. <laughs> it's nice, nice to, to see you, Peter. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's good to be invited. Thank you. Yes, and I think we met through uh, LinkedIn, right? Because there were some um, back and forth chats and conversations, and then we just said, "Let's jump on a coffee chat," and then we ended up there talking a lot about um, topics we are both uh, passionate about. Um, it was a lot of um, planning topics, systematic um, design of processes, projects, and um, systems overall. So maybe we can dive into that later, but maybe you first can give us a bit of context about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, I started my career in uh, in HR and recruitment. I did that for, for many, many years, um, mainly uh, in, uh, in, in recruitment outsourcing. Um, and then as soon as I went in-house and I got the taste of what a fast-growing startup is like, um, I haven't done anything else uh, since. So uh, I, I then moved out of recruitment and started doing uh, executive management in HR. And I've done that for the last uh, 10 years. So I've, I've, I've helped a few of uh, Europe's fastest-growing companies uh, uh, reach the point where they are now, including uh, Deliver Hero, uh, Rim Robotics, Global, and, uh, and Doc Planner. Um, and now I've just started my own uh, consultancy, so um, it's a new new chapter. And what do you offer there? So basically, um, HR or people strategy. Uh, over the last um, uh, three years at, at Docplan, I've realized that a lot of companies make the obvious mistakes, especially uh, in their early days. Um, and I've always wondered, you know, what what could have happened? How fast? Could these companies have grown if they just got things right uh, from the beginning? So that's what I want to help uh, companies do. Uh, and that includes uh, talent acquisition, uh, employee value proposition, uh, but also performance management uh, and, uh, and tools and analytics. Yes. And what, what do you see as um, maybe the main three mistakes companies make if there is something that clear in your mind um, at an early stage? Yeah, yeah definitely. So I, I think the very first mistake uh, companies make is they don't put enough emphasis on HR or the people team. Uh, they usually wait until around 60 or 100 employees to even hire a first HR manager. And I think that's uh, that's too late. And then the second is um, they don't invest in structure from an early beginning. Now they see HR as someone that you can walk into the office um, and um, and 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 put all your problems on the table, right? Or someone that's more of a coach to leadership, which it absolutely should be. Um, 
but then a year or two years or three years down the line, they say, hey, can we compare um, turnover from our earliest days to what we have now? And then the answer is, I'm sorry, but we didn't collect that kind of data uh, back then. So and I think a lot of these things are, are easy to solve uh, with the right tools and with the right processes. So I guess that would be the third thing, invest in, in processes, uh, no matter how early it may seem uh, or inappropriate it may seem, invest early in, uh, in processes. Yeah, I can also see something like that. And I think the perception of an HR function in early stage companies, especially when I work with VCs and they sometimes introduce us then to early stage companies, um, what they have in mind on how, I don't know, talent acquisition or the overall HR field should be run is very um, limited in the in the view, right? Because they just, as you said, have the problems. Okay, now we have these three problems and now we need to solve them. And I think that's also the sentiment of the overall company stage you're in and mm-hmm. early stage still and you you solve now what you need to solve now but if you are especially going into um, a mode of scaling and you are aware that this mode is coming then you need to approach it differently <laughs> and then exactly what you said there are some systems that need to be in place and um, how, how would you start there if you would start from um, scratch and get it right up front yeah good question so I, I think um I think there's another point that we need to address but that's very much in line with what you just said. Um, companies that scale quickly or in, or in an early stage, they, they tend to see HR as uh, mainly talent acquisition, um, which, which is why I think that's where we should start. So the, the first thing um, to invest in is a proper ATS, a proper applicant tracking system to make sure that these processes run um, smoothly. And, and that you can um, not only guarantee a proper um, candidate experience, but also gather the, the right um, data. And then where I think a main issue is, is the transition between ATS and whatever you're going to use afterwards. So uh, an, an HRIS or a capital management uh, system. And I think that's where a lot of friction happens by, for example, asking the information that you've asked a candidate already in the ATS again, and, and maybe again, when you need to make a contract or or, um, or start a payroll process, et cetera. Um, and, um, and the loss of, of data. So the friction for the, for the candidate or the new employee, and then the data that simply is lost after the ATS and, and doesn't exist in whatever comes after. Um, so, and, and I don't think these tools have to be very expensive, especially if you're a smaller scale, a smaller company. Um, it, I, I think, it's well worth the investment to have a proper ATS and a proper HRIS and, and to work or, or to yeah to work on finding those two tools that communicate well together that are that have a proper integration and that don't require a lot of um, technical expertise and, and investment from your side because at that at that stage that's the last thing you want to be doing hiring someone or 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 expending some of your technical resources that you may have on 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 board um, on working on HR projects. I think it's that's good. eventually, yeah, eventually that becomes super important. But early stage, that's not where you want to uh, spend your uh, your effort. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And the mistakes made, um, they they will be, I would say. So so let's say there will be mistakes made when growing a company. Yeah, and then when you cannot analyze what was a mistake or maybe where have we been. Um, performing against pen- benchmark better or worse um, if you cannot do that 
this is also where a lot of big problems start. <laughs> then a lot of expensive consultants get hired um, and they need to fix it because internally nobody has the time for it or maybe also not the 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 broad view on it, right? Really zoom out and, as you said, start from the beginning. Um, and <clears throat> especially when it comes to headcount planning, you can see that, right? If you cannot access um, data <laughs> from recruitment, but also from the HR system, and also you're not maybe seasoned in planning yet, that you can rely on past data or are maybe accurate enough in estimations, um, then this gets really expensive because the, the misplanning or the inaccuracy in planning, especially when different department VPs or C-levels plan all in their own style, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, then you usually misallocate a lot of resources. And I think this is also what happened a bit in the past that everybody just did it their own way. And then you had this um, companies that really overhired a lot as well. Uh -huh. But to overhire... They were always understaffed and then you needed to ramp up recruitment, for instance, immediately um, when you had the people on board. Then you needed to make sure that everybody gets onboarded, um, is performing well, and then the managers are complaining, oh, our quality of hire is so bad. And then you never know what's the source of the problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. And what is your experience in really making it um, smooth or sophisticated that the two systems um, have the hiring data and the employee data connected. How do you make sure that this is really um, combined very well? Because when we first talked, you really had a very sophisticated system there on how you do it. And it seems like you figured it out many times already in global complex organization. Um, yeah, yeah, yes and no. So, so okay, let's, so let's clarify. We're now not talking about workforce planning. We're, ju we're just talking about um, the integration between ATS and HRIS, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I I think there are very few. Okay. So let's first things first. Uh, there, I think every most ATSs and most HRISs now have off-the-shelf integrations. Uh, you can turn them on. It's basically copy-paste an API key and things will work, um, which is great. Where, the, where I think the real issue lies is in information that you have in one system that's custom, that you want to have in the other, that's not part of that standard integration. Uh, because now all of a sudden, if, if in the ATS we are um, making notes or, or we have a custom field that represents our um, organizational structure. For example, instead of uh, departments, we also have division and team names or or regions, we use regions <laughs> instead of whatever. problem. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just the way our organization works. Um, we call things divisions instead of department and all of a sudden the integration no longer works. So what we need to do now is go into the APIs and write this connection and do callbacks and all that. And that, then that's where it becomes a little bit more um, complex. So um, what, what we had developed in, in Doc Planner is um, we, we use the standard integration. Uh, we were using smart recruiters. And the, and the tool called uh, Sapling. Um, as soon as someone is hired in Smart Recruiters, an account is created in Sapling. Great. But the, the, the downside was that it was only collecting five or six standard fields, first name, last name, manager, email address, et cetera. And that's it. So our, our HR admins or our recruiters still needed to go back into the ATS, gather all the information, and then copy paste everything into the HRS, which was terrible. 
Yeah, because mistakes are made. All of a sudden, an email address is, is written differently, and, and we're going to use that as a unique identifier throughout the employee's lifecycle. And now it's a completely different person and nothing else uh, matches. And so what we did there is, is basically write a small tool, a little app that um, does a callback to the ATS and gathers all those individual custom fields and populates them and puts them into the, uh, the HRS, which is, I mean, yeah, it works, but it's not ideal. Right? Uh, ideally, you just have a, a, a some, ideally you would have a system that can recognize both values uh, from both systems and just match them no matter what they're called and, uh, or no matter what that, uh, no matter what uh, field type they are, even uh, it's it's a because kind of a drag and drop. Have, you, you would need to match them by the same purpose they have, I guess. Then exactly, yeah, yeah. And but and it could be it could be that the field that you've created in your HRS is a uh, only only accepts numbers, and in the ATS it's a string or a letters uh, field, and then uh, you have an issue. So. This even the setup that we've created in in Doc Planner was generating so many errors, uh, simply because, uh, and even even if um, either of those tools make an update to their system, and now your app stops working, and so so it worked. We got it to 100%, um, but it's not it's not ideal. Mm. And on the that's the technical aspect, but let's say on the management aspect of it, how do you also make sure that um, when the organizational design changes, that all the stakeholders that are owning the systems are aware of that, and also maybe recruiters, managers are briefed on that, and everybody is aware of what's what's the updated version at the current very at the very moment. How do you make sure that that is happening? Yeah, that's that's a different question entirely. I feel it's um... yeah. Yeah, because you cannot throw you cannot throw a tool at this. Yeah, it's it's very much a cultural thing, um, and 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 I've, and we've had this issue in every single company. Um, and I think a great example is is uh, Docplanner, where for historical reasons there are eighteen departments, and that's it. So everyone fits into one of these departments. But at some point, you know, the organization grows to three thousand people, um, and 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 further, let's say. Um, uh, further specification is needed uh, within these 18 departments. So, so we had a situation where our sales department, for example, was 800 people worldwide, but we had a, a department called general or SEO that had one or two people in it, and, and it just didn't make any more sense. And so when it gets, when it gets down to these um, getting more specific into who fits in what team and what department, uh, looking from an organizational design uh, perspective, who's Usually in the driving seat is the finance department no, because they produce uh, the report for investors. They produce the, the KPIs and metrics that investors want to see. Um, and they're, they're simply not the same as those metrics from the HR team. Uh, the HR is more concerned with um, what's the span of control? Does it make sense that these people perform this role? And should we call them something else now? Um, finance cares about is this line or in the spreadsheet contributing to uh, our cost of service or what, what, what's the contribution margin here? So the reality is that um, communication between these two teams is often lackluster. And so finance may make a change in how a, a, an employee is assigned and how we treat the cost of this person now. And, 
but that change is not reflected in the ATS. And before you know it, you're talking about very different things. Uh, planning is all over the place um, and, and, and recruiters are not, you know, they, they simply don't know. And, and this, is, this is still on the organizational design level. Now, imagine the mess when it comes to operational hiring um, and, and, and planning who should be where doing what at what time. I, I feel like we're getting very much into the, the technicalities, but that's actually it. It's interesting and insightful because a lot of companies, they just think of this or figure that out when it's too late and they hire an expert to figure that out or to, to fix the problem. And then usually what happens, there's somebody coming in there, asking all those questions and coming to the exact same conclusion what you just um, mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like I spent five minutes to explain that the CFO and the CPO should talk or yeah. <laughs> or, the, or, the, or the person who's responsible for the organizational design on the finance side should talk to someone on the HR side to let them know that, you know, we're, we're changing things in, in the way we do uh, accounting. I once saw this a bit um, working, let's say, better, not perfect, but better when there was were two roles introduced at a certain size. And that was a finance business partner and an HR business partner. And they had the the power and authority um, to make decisions within the unit they are consulting at. So let's say there was the CTPO organization, um, because usually product development and tech um, <clears throat> goes together from an org design, um, but it's two different hierarchical line manager strings, but there is maybe one um, combined group of matrix teams yeah, that are oh. horizontal. And then there it's getting super complex because you need to have both <laughs> uh -huh. the vertical one and the um, horizontal one. And um, on the simple organizations like, I don't know, um, let's take um, finance or general and admin, it's then finance and people team. Then you have just two hierarchical um, strings or, or um, Vertic, um, vertical um, lines and there it's it's quite simple to just create an overview and map it but if you then need to map it for instance also with sales where you have then suddenly an attribution like by country <laughs> uh -huh. um, or in engineering and product design where you have an attribution by product you develop uh -huh. then it's getting really complex and when you then yeah. had the, the finance business partner and the HR business partner talking to each other and figuring it out customized for the um, for the unit they are um, supporting, uh -huh. then this worked out that they came up with a way to translate the overall budget and the overall org structure um, standards into what is needed in their niche. But if you don't have somebody who is really responsible for that in both sides and also uh -huh. talks to the managers and VPs um, and they have the time for it, then this, I think I never saw it um, that it's going to work because yeah. also at some point when you need these roles or when you have these problems, the organization is getting so big that one unit should be treated like a full org. Um, yeah. But what do you think about that concept? Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's, I think it's probably the, the best way to do it, right? To have, to have, um, to have people representing those, those functions specifically instructed, um, to align uh, when on, on, on topic, uh, topics like these. And I, I think there's another thing that you mentioned that's, um, that, that, that becomes a challenge, especially for, for larger 
um, multinational organizations where so what what i've often seen is that um, a country structure either emerges or 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 um, a company is acquired in a certain country um, and it's decided to leave them relatively autonomous right that the um with their own departments their own processes their own ways of of uh, generating revenue their own ways of, of doing business and then at a later stage um, a global team is created and and this is where it gets more challenging because the local people generally keep reporting to local ceos the local management um but the, but the global people will have a, a vested interest in trying to align processes align systems align kpis and um, align everything um and that's and that's when there's there starts to become this friction right? because what whatever is designed on a local on a global level may not work uh, locally or is perceived to be um inappropriate or less thought through uh, a simple um uh, across the board measure to fix an issue that is perceived by global but it may not be perceived by uh, by by the local teams um, and I and I think I think that's well I think that's where a lot of friction occurs as well and I, I haven't quite figured out how to fix this right the the, the, the logic would be to have these local business partners um, I, and by the way I I would consider in that case a local head of HR also a local business partner representing uh, the organization there um, and I, I haven't seen a, an example of where that that collaboration works as seamlessly as you have. Um, uh, as in the example you've given between finance and HR. Have, have, have you seen anything like this? In... Yes. Um, once at an organization that was really operations heavy because they had um, they swi switched from a global PNL to a PLL, a PNL by region, so by country. So they instead of having one COO, um, it was as chief business officer role then it was a sim it was a, a kind of a mix between a CRO and a COO uh -huh. <laughs> who has the operational um, responsibility of the full org and it was um, um, thousands of people in in that organization and um, there was in uh, they were in the mobility field right so a lot of local ops in in different uh -huh. different cities and um, there were local VPs, but a VP was, um, let's say, responsible for a region, let's say, Central Europe, um, then maybe South Western Europe, the Nordics, um, America, and Middle East, for instance. Mm -hmm. And then these regional VPs had another layer of either direct country managers, if it's a big country like France, for instance, um, or Germany. And then for um, the countries, Austria and Switzerland, there was a country manager reporting into the VP or also reporting into the director DACH. And then there were um, country managers. So this can get really complex. Right. Yeah. Um, but depending on the size of the revenue and the num and the complexity and number of people um, where you that you have employed and need to hire, you distribute the budget. And each region had its local head of HR. Right. And that was the regional business partner. And on top, there was still <laughs> a functional um, business partner um, uh -huh. who is running, for instance, ops overall, um, but also would have another unit 
So this would be then a person um, who has maybe the um, authority over the regional business partners in that region or across regions and also overall manage the central function plus maybe um, an, another function or managing expansion, for instance, so which was really complex. So there I saw this concept working. What was not working there is um, the authority of hiring because this was then really getting complex because there was a central hiring team but you would actually yeah. needed a regional hiring focus and then um, I think it was a huge recruiting team of 70 people and um, half of them at some point were in sitting within the countries but were a bit disconnected to the central hiring team so the yeah. quality standards were not the same even not the same ATS <laughs> in the beginning because yeah. sometimes then another country used another ATS so it was uh, terrible um, but um, at some point you need to consolidate in a way and you need to have a certain strategy right but there the strategy was to move away from a central organization um, to a um, P&L organization where each country has its own P&L and also its own authority to make decisions, but transitioning out from a central approach to that regional approach was super difficult. And I would say the finance reporting piece really worked well because you had cost contributed to a country and mm -hmm. revenue attributed to a country, and therefore you could allocate a budget and resources to a country, which was regional, plus everybody, depending on the size, had a share from central budget that can uh -huh. be added. Right. Interesting. And how do they deal with, um, you, you mentioned recruitment, but was this an organization that's heavy on, let's say, um, central functions focusing on uh, uh, on, on HR, um, uh, like like Compenban, um, uh, analytics, um, learning and development? Were, they, were these things done on a global level or on a regional level or on a country level? Yeah, on a global level. So these were then global functions. Yeah. Um, but... At some point, of course, you would also need to find somehow a regional focus, right? Especially with the whole compensation benefits topic that yeah. was so, so complex to, for more than 20 countries, find a compensation strategy. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes maybe you're in a country, you have 1,000 people and in another country, just 30. What do you do? Do you offer the same benefits? Um, are, is it even possible to offer the same benefits? Because um, maybe... A Middle Eastern country is um, operating from a compliance perspective uh, very differently to a Western European country, for instance. Yeah. yeah. And even within France, Spain, Germany, Italy, which is quite similar, it's completely dif different. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 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 In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Interesting challenges. <laughs> yes, and Peter, and regarding headcount planning, what mistakes do you see there and what best practices can you recommend? Yeah, interesting question. So um, there are a few things I see. The, um, the, the first is, the, um, so let's, let's have a look at organizations that are slightly uh, larger. Right, if you're 100 people and and you and you and you plan to to double up in a year, um, it's not it's not difficult to to keep no, track of. You can of, do it in a spreadsheet, and it's per it works perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. If you if you're 3,000 and you have a 100% turnover in some of your your departments, um, 
it's it's starting to become a little bit more challenging because then it's not so much yeah it's not, so the, the first thing it should always start with um with the business so either with a, with a revenue planning or with a feature planning or with uh, whatever whatever products are we are we looking to launch and work back from from there to what capability that we need and when i think i think the when is the big um, challenge i think there's a massive disconnect between the business having a need or a desire and the expectation of when uh, a, a new hire can start and be productive right um so so that's that's already where the planning goes off because even if we take a month or two months to hire someone it, it probably it will often be about six months before they can really start to produce um and and, and then you're already behind on your uh, schedule the second is that um if i think okay so look, let's have a look at the budget planning process itself right? so so for example in doc planner the budget planning would take anywhere between one and a half and three months right? so it's at some point there's a there's a uh, there's a long headcount list um, we start to uh, figure out how many people we need and when um, in, and in and where and um, and by the time the budget signed off by our investors for three months later and about 300 new people have joined already uh, about 250 people have left uh, the organization and it's it, it's not really clear anymore what's actually needed um, versus what the budget is so now which of these two lists do we give to the recruitment team what's actually needed or what's in the budget and and what's been signed off so there we have a little bit of a challenge and and i think that the third is the recruitment capacity i think more yeah so if we if we know that we're going to be late so if we know that recruiting takes time um it it, it will take even longer if you're understaffed uh, and, it and it won't necessarily go faster if you're overstaffed right? so i think a, a mistake that a lot of companies make is um they don't look at the recruitment capacity um, seriously enough and and especially enough. in the early days yeah and early enough there's like let's let's hire an hr manager um but but also let's double the company and then it's it's about prioritization right and hiring usually gets priority and before you know it um, the hr function is little more than just uh, than just talent acquisition um so how to how to solve this i think the number one thing is to have um real time insights in what's going on even during the budgeting process so if if the budgeting process starts in in january and and like i said 250 people have left we'll need to know exactly what what the, what the roles of those people were whether we are going to replace them it's a decision that needs to be made in real time and, and be reflected in the budget in uh, in real time and and um whether yeah and 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 um and whether what new hires so, so the yeah what new hires are going to um contribute uh to to the business efforts later on so another another example that we have is um uh, for example maternity paternity and long-term illnesses so if out of these 250 people that left or became unproductive we include 30 people that go on maternity leave or on paternity leave or or long-term sickness um, when do we need to hire the replacements and when do we expect the original people to come back uh, to uh, to the workforce so um okay so now that we have a real-time 
view of um, what we need. And, and, and theoretically, the moment we sign off the budget, that's exactly the list that we need to give to recruitment. And how, how have we done on working backwards from when we need these people? Uh, and, and can we then look at the recruitment capacity um, to see if we need more recruiters uh, or, or need to invest in employer branding? And ideally, we do that well before um, yeah. uh, it's, it's even needed. Yeah, usually the problem is that um, this whole sign-off pro pro um, process happens, maybe let's say budgeting starts in September and then ends in December maybe if companies are average, yeah, not too fast but not too slow. And then what's happened in December, an unrealistic plan gets communicated. Everybody goes on vacation, especially from the management side, <laughs> coming back mid of January. And then wondering why the, why why we are behind budget, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the people are not there yet. Yes, of course, because there is nobody doing the interviews, or also nobody um, that having enough time to just um, hire all these roles in parallel, because we are understaffed. And then the conclusion is, oh, we would have needed to hire for recruiters in um, May June to get them productive that they can deliver now. That's usually what's happening then. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also I understand another, that overstaffing uh, all the time, it doesn't also make sense, right? So you need yeah. to find a flexible solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something temporary or, or if you know that you're going to have a big spike in January, uh, get a couple of temporary recruiters on in, in, in September. I feel another issue is, um, so if, if, if a manager is asked, how many people do you need for next year? And they'll look at the revenue that they're meant to generate or the products that they're uh, supposed to launch or whatever whatever business KPIs they have. And, and they'll look at it from, for the entire year. And so they, they'll they put a massive spike in hiring need in January. I'll just, you know, this is the product, productivity I need for the year. And I'll get the most out of my people if I have them in January. So a recruitment plan, if you look at it on a year uh, scale, looks like this. Yes. There's seventy percent of the of the people in January, and then uh, another ten or fifteen in February, and the rest spread out over the year. Which is uh, so you're you're already behind budget in the first week of uh, of January. Yes. <laughs> so Peter, and this is also what you do for companies that you um, do sparing with them and consult them there. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Exciting. So if there is a chance where we can work together on something like this, I would be excited because I think the approach you take is very, very sophisticated and also um, very straightforward and clear um, and not many people have that. So that's that's really great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. And I and I, I wonder why um, it's... No, I, I find it sad that it's such an afterthought for a lot of companies. Uh, and um, and I think I think that's why... Um, consulting in an early stage may bring compounding benefits over over the long term. I think, and I, I think that's why I'm, I'm very excited about this, uh, about this, and uh, and I think there's so much um, so much opportunity uh, to, like I said, to compound benefits over a long period of time. So we are already over time. Do you have any guests that I don't know, but you know, who I should maybe interview next? Um, yeah, so there's, there's someone I've worked with um, in the past at uh, Delivery Hero, who I admire very much. Um, she is on the complete opposite spectrum of, uh, of, of let's say, HR topics. Um, her name is Nina Weid, 
Uh, she's a leadership uh, consultant and she is fantastic. Do you think she would be open for an episode? Uh, you can always ask. Cool. Yeah, I will. Can I refer to you? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Then um, enjoy your boat trip, Peter. Um, thank you. And um, thank you for your time. And um, let's catch up sometime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, See you. Thank you, man.